Uh, this is a prop. I don't usually use a stool. Um, so just going to acknowledge that immediately so you don't have to wonder. Um, my name is Anthony. I'm the pastor here at Valley Hope. Um, I will bring the podium back in a second. Um, we, we're so glad that uh, you're here this morning. And uh, if, I haven't, um, if we haven't made connections between us and, and yourself, I hope we get to do that soon. Um, I, I was kind of, I, I was here to drop my own kids off on Wednesday and picked them up. And there were so many people, so many. Um, it was absolutely buzzing. And um, it, I asked my, uh, my kids, hey, did you have a good time? And they said, yeah, how long were we there? And I was like, two hours? And they were like, what, really? That's a good sign. Um, and uh, that, so we had almost 110. Um, that's children and youth. That's not, doesn't include any of the volunteers. Um, so we had a lot of people here. And um, that is, is awesome. It is a little overwhelming. Um, and uh, that has sort of been what's happening in here uh, for, the, for a little bit, for, for a couple months now. <laughs> and um, I, wanted, I wanted to just talk to you about this, about what's been happening in our church. Um, we, a while ago, looked around and felt like the room was getting pretty full and recognized that people don't seat themselves efficiently in pews, which is still happening um, right now. And so we said, if we, if we get chairs, we can fit more people in here. So we had about 200 people in here when we felt that way. So we went ahead and ordered 260 chairs, which will hopefully be here in November. Yeah, maybe. Beginning of November. Um, for the previous month, we had several Sundays where, by our count, we had upwards of 320 people here. Um, so thus the appearance of many more black chairs that you saw in the lobby and cramming more in, into these spaces. Um, just trying to find as much seating as we can for, for folks. <clears throat> and uh, to, I mean, to be clear, we're counting all of our kids, of which there are many. And um, we also recognize that um, quite a f few people uh, leave when the kids come, either because they have to or because the kids are coming. Um, <laughs> but if we were all to be in one room at, at one time, or one-ish rooms, um, over 300. So our plan is already short <laughs> of what we are trying to do. <clears throat> and... Um, I'm sitting on this stool because I need to talk to you <laughs> about what is happening. Uh, and actually, this goes with the text that I was supposed to preach, which I did not plan that. That just is providential. Um, when we moved to this building in 2019, it was amazing 
it was so cool for a number of reasons. And uh, we only became more grateful when COVID really hit, that we actually had a place of our own for the first time. My fear when we came here is that people would love too much the thing that was so good to us. Because for our entire history, we were a church where if you wanted to come to Valley Hope or Eyesight, you have to work. You had to set up chairs. You had to take down chairs. You had to set up our kids' rooms. And now all of that would be gone. And uh, we came here, and it was so nice. For the record, still glad I don't have to set up chairs. It was so many years of, of doing that. Um, but the fear is that when you come to a place like this, when you can just come and you can just sit and you can leave, you can get the feeling that church is comfortable and that it is mostly a show that you can come and be a spectator. And, the, and there are places where you can do that. You can do that here, but it's not what we want for you. And I didn't know how to communicate that for the past two and a half years. But guess what? We are here again. Um, if you've been in a part of our church for, for a while, for a long time, you may feel like you don't know what the heck you're doing. <laughs> this looks and feels so different and... Um, you just weren't prepared for that. And if you're new to our church, you may be feeling like, when are these people going to get their act together and make all this stuff work? I have some news. Um, we're not anytime soon. Um, I mostly am good at talking, and that's it. And the staff can verify this. I am very little help. Daniel and Amy uh, and Jen work so hard. They are working so hard. So hard. And they can barely keep up. And um, I'm so grateful for them. But they can't do it all. Our elders are really, really trying. We are really trying. Really hard. And there's just not enough. There's just not enough of us. You know, we, we had a, a leadership dinner um, for all the people who are like part of teams and wanting to lead and all these things. And there were so many people there. I think it was like 50 people. And, um, and there were still a lot of people that weren't even there. And there still weren't enough. We have more volunteers for our youth than ever before. And there wasn't enough. Even having the dinner was like, twice as expensive as we thought it would be because we just didn't think there'd be that many people. 
This is not to tell you things are going down the tubes. <laughs> but this is to tell everyone, whether you are old here or new here, and if this is your first Sunday, welcome again. <laughs> this is a church where you have to work. But when I say that, I'm not saying that to you to shame you or to guilt you, but to invite you. This is the work of the kingdom. All the things that we are looking at doing to try to project forward and to lead us into whatever the heck that is going on, and I do not know or understand, there are no comfortable solutions for anyone. There are no solutions that we have yet encountered that will result in more comfort for anyone. And in the discomfort of our lives is where the kingdom of God works and transforms his people. It is in the discomfort of our lives that God transforms us into his image, conforms us to his will, and brings us face to face with the facts of this life. That I do not have enough. And only God does. So I, I do not know for sure how we are going to continue to address this. We can't fit any more chairs. That's not, that's not going to happen. So I don't know what the solution is going to look like. And I'll, I'll be very honest with you. I have been overwhelmed personally because I feel I do not have enough. And I've walked around this property lately in the middle of the day, drinking my tea, asking God, what the heck do you want from me? Afraid, honestly, because I don't particularly enjoy failing people, and there's more of you. <laughs> And I can feel the edges of my failure all the time. And what I can tell you is that the Lord is gracious and good. Jesus is inviting people to the table. And I'm so happy that every one of you are here. This is not a problem to grumble about or to be stressed about. This is the nature of the kingdom. When Jesus tells these kinds of stories, he says, throw open the doors and invite everyone. Invite everyone that you can find. And what I felt the Lord saying to me was, you 
are getting to be a part of inviting my people and putting them at my table. And I will set the table for you. If you are coming in here and you are like, I don't know about all of this. This is like crazy. There's too many people in here. You're correct, factually. I, I don't know how I'm supposed to know people. I don't know how I'm supposed to do this. You, you could be old in this church or new. You could feel the, the, the same way. And, and all I can tell you is that, that Jesus is the God who takes tiny things and multiplies them. He takes empty tables and he fills them. And he will do that in my life personally. He can do it in your life as well. And he can do it in the life of this church. Our, our staff in session are going to on a retreat in a few weeks to hopefully have real clarity together about what we're going to do together, about how we do this. I'm inviting you now beforehand, before we even have a plan, to make room. To make room, literally, like in your pews, we need you to make room. We, we need you to sit, like, not like Westerners, like Americans, where you need a buffer. We need you to, like, go thigh to thigh. <laughs> Close. Because there are, like, seven dozen people coming in a little bit. They're little children. But I also need you to make space in your life. I need you, we all need, to make space in our heart, in our relationships, so that when somebody comes to the door here, they understand that it is not to us primarily that they are coming, but to Jesus. It is Jesus' table that we are calling people to. And there has to be room in our life. And that doesn't mean I need each one of you now to be best friends with 14 new people. But I do need you to have room for one more. When we, when we dismiss here, I need you to find one new face and make space for them. And if we all can scoot a little bit of our lives a little bit, we can continue to say, come and find your place at the table. Last Sunday, we had a baptism service. It was super fun. And we baptized kids ranging from, I don't know, six to 10, I don't know, something like that. But we also baptized two adults who've just recently come to faith in Jesus. And, and one of them has a baby, so we baptized her too. And that, it's, it's, it is one of the best things that I've ever done in my life. We want to make space in this church for people like that. I want people from our neighborhood, from our communities, from our lives, 
who have never grown up loving Jesus, coming and finding that Jesus is the sum and fullness of all their hopes. And so we have to make room. We have to make room in this space. We have to make room in our lives if we are all going to listen to the gospel and respond by invitation. If we are all going to listen to Jesus and do what he says and and go with him and invite, we have to make room for those people to come in here. And so my, my invitation is to remember not just your baptism, but the baptism of your brothers and sisters. And remember that those waters are wide enough for so many people. So many people. Please be patient with us. With the staff and the elders of this church, we sincerely, we're, we're doing our best. Give of yourself. Serve. Come to church not to watch, but to participate in the life. And pray. Pray that the God who provides the wine for the feast would show up and give us wine here, who would multiply loaves and fishes, would multiply our little offering as well. I'm done with the stool. It doesn't count as the sermon. I still get to preach. Just hold on one second. It'll be very fast, though, and you'll see why. Ecclesiastes 4 and 5 is where we'll be today. We'll skip one little section, and I'll just jump right over it. You should see it in the references. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will stand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they are do- that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Father, we thank you for your word. 
God, we pray that we would have ears to hear it. Father, we pray that our lives would be wound together. That we would not live alone, but instead in tight-knit fellowship with others. God, we pray that your word would show us the way forward and be our sustenance. Make our, our hearts leap with love for you. God, may you be worshiped and glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. The preacher here is writing about going to church. Technically the assembly. Uh, probably the temple, not the synagogue. But he's speaking about what it means to go to be with the people of God. And he writes with a warning. And it's important to hear with his warning because um, he illustrates two problems with the churchly gathering that we have unfortunately not left behind in the years BC when this was written. In essence, he speaks of, of two things, rashness in speech, having a quick mouth, and hypocrisy. And he warns against these two things. And the truth is that probably plenty of people in here and out there in the world have their own wounds particularly tagged by these two things. Christians running their mouth one way or another and or failing to do what they have promised with their mouth. God is doing this thing in our midst that so much involves coming to the assembly together. And yet we have to acknowledge and hear the realities of the danger of that invitation for many people the challenge of that invitation for many people. I know that there are many people in here who have open and public wounds that have resulted from the words of other Christians and the running of their mouth and have wounds that are the result of people failing to live up to what they said they would do. And it's really interesting the way that the preacher really talks about this to help kind of build out what this might look like. He talks about the role of dreams. Be not rash with your mouth, not, not let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes which, with much business and a fool's voice with many words. Zach Eswine, in his commentary on this passage, talks about how so often some of the most destructive things that happen in a church is because people have dreams, literally or metaphorically, literal dreams at night or, or desires in their heart, where they have dreams for the church. They have dreams for the gathering. And they rush to speak and to say, this is what God wills. 
to speak for God and on behalf of God. This is the will of God. And they're not even doing it consciously, but there's no step in there to stop and ask the question, is the thing that I am seeing, is the thing that I desire actually what God's will is? Usually what just happens is you skip straight to speaking for or on behalf of God. And when that starts to happen, there are other people who, one, have their own dreams, and two, maybe don't have their own dreams, but will stand up and say, I don't know if that's from the Lord, but then that becomes, that person is in conflict with the dreams that are from God, and so this person is angry and blowing up. And you can, you can hide this under the language not of dreams, but of theology, convictions, about what you know is right and wrong. And of course, there are things that are truly right and wrong, so that can get in itself confusing. That just muddies the water. And usually what happens is the running of mouths is begun. People whisper and talk or argue face-to-face or post online or never say anything out loud, but in the quiet of their heart begins a bitter narrative where they lecture the person that has offended them. And the mouth runs. The dreams that you are sure are from God are now animating the way that you are wounding and being wounded. And the preacher says, you better watch your mouth. The dreams that come from the busyness of your own mind, even your well-intentioned heart, the dreams that come out of the stirring of your own soul should fall under the magnifying glass. Are these things from me? Or are they from God? And you and I are particularly good at understanding this dynamic for 99.999% of people. The exclusion being, but not me. Everybody else has this problem. Thankfully, I see clearly and understand. You are also part of this number. It doesn't mean that God doesn't speak for his, to his people. It doesn't mean it's wrong to have dreams and desires for the church. But the preacher says you are better off quiet. You are better off first approaching and adopting a posture of silence. You and I are on earth. And God is in heaven. So we should let our words be few. I do appreciate the irony that I'm saying that as I preach and talk many words. (laughs) And I also know that I step off of this pulpit and into my life, private and otherwise. And I myself also forget that I am on earth And God is in heaven. And I am better first adopting a posture of silence. 
Have you really tried to practice true silence before? I don't just mean introverts. I'm not talking about alone time, which I excel at. I'm excellent at it. But usually when I'm alone, I don't adopt silence. I read, I watch things, even if I can be disciplined enough to not do that. I am constantly chattering at God. Constantly. Have you adopted a practice of silence in your life where you stop the chattering and instead listen? The preacher says, we would all be better off. The other thing that he says is he uses it in the context of vows. You make a promise to do this and that, and then you fail. And he says, you are better off never making the promise than having to go back and apologize for failing to live up to the vow. The unfortunate truth is Christian community is marked by hypocrisy. We say one thing and do another. My life is riddled with hypocrisy. I, I know that if any of you could be like a silent drone buzzing about my life, you would be horrified by what you saw in my life. This guy's a pastor. Look at how he's talking to his kids at the end of like every day. This guy's the worst. I don't need to speculate on what your drone experience would be like if we watched yours. I can tell you, though, that I know hypocrisy is rife in my life. And unfortunately, there is hypocrisy that isn't just me and God kind of hypocrisy. There's also the kind of hypocrisy that bleeds over into our relationships with one another. So you, especially like if you're a member of our church, you make a public vow to pursue the purity and peace of the church. And how many times have each of us like broken that vow? Held grudges, been rude, been cold-hearted, been unforgiving. We are unsurprised when we see that in our own hearts. And hypocrisy is not something to grow used to. The preacher says this is a major problem and you best be careful that your words and your actions, your life actually live one message. And of course, we are unsurprised at hypocrisy because we know the truth about ourselves. We, we open the doors and promise people there's a bunch of sinners in here, just FYI. You are not gathering as a congregation of the perfected, but as a congregation of the flawed. And when you put people like us in a room together, people who are openly proclaiming your need for a savior, we are unsurprised when you demonstrate that to be absolutely true. When you're looking at all the members of our church and you're looking at your own life and you say, it's true, that person needs to get saved. That person also just happens to be me. Hypocrisy is dangerous and deadly. And the world has often received the message that we are unaware. That we have double dealt with the world. That we have expected 
holiness from our friends and excused the lack of holiness in ourselves. When in fact, it should be the opposite, right? Holiness should be the standard to which we are held. And we do not expect our non-Christian friends to look like us. Sadly, the level rises only to the lowest point, right? And so the world is full of hurt. This church will fail you. And if you're here and have been for more than like two weeks, what I mean to say is this church will fail you again. We are a congregation full of people who are fickle, who are indeed frequent failures. Hypocrisy is not something we accept, but something we grieve. Hopefully we would openly acknowledge our own sin and failure, the rashness of our speech, the inability to be silent before God and instead just speak on his behalf. It grieves us. And what's even more challenging is the way that he starts. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Not if, but when. This hypocrisy and rashness of speech, the sin we know is is unsurprising, and yet the expectation here in the text in Ecclesiastes 5 and throughout the rest of the New Testament is that you don't occasionally visit this, this group of people that are doing this to you and to whom you contribute your own sin, but instead, not occasionally, but frequently, habitually, often, when you go to the assembly so that we may tear at each other and wound each other and disappoint each other again and again, and yet we're drawn back to this place, this gathering, as if there's gravity in the universe here that's pulling us again and again and again. And people look from the inside and from the outside and say, why? Why would you do this? For for many Christians, they have asked the question, answered the question themselves, there is no good reason why. I am out. I will come a couple times a year. I will come when I feel like it. I will come when it fits into my schedule. That's the best I can do. That is all that I will do. Or I don't even going to do that. I'll go on a walk in the woods. I'll go be by myself. I'll go have some prayer time. I don't need this mess. And it is not just non-Christians saying it. It is Christians too. Why is that word when there instead of if? When you go to the assembly, be watchful of all this stuff that could go wrong. Because in the assembly is when you encounter Jesus and the place that he wants to be. Is Jesus on the trail? Is Jesus alone with you? Yes, of course he is. He's, there's nowhere where he's not by his spirit. But Jesus, he came for this. He says that the people, his people gathered together are like his bride. 
The identification between this gathering and him is so tight that Paul says it's like we are his visible body. There is an interconnection not between us, just between us as individuals in Jesus, but us together in Jesus. Is this dangerous and disappointing and often and sometimes hurtful? Yes. And that is the precise reason that Jesus came. It is for the love of this, his people, together, collectively, and individually, that Christ spread his arms on the cross and embrace the worst that the hypocrisy and rashness of our sinful souls could rot on his body. It is the rush to judgment that led the crowd to say, I know what it is the will of God. It is not him. Crucify him. It is the hypocrisy of the human soul that would say, I will be righteous. I will crucify an innocent man. It is the precise reason that Jesus comes into the world to demonstrate to us that he is not like us. Jesus is not rash. When he speaks, you should listen and you should trust him. When Jesus speaks, it is the absolute certainty of his being that carries the truth of what he says. And Jesus speaks his love for you and for me, for us together with absolute resolution that will not be changed by circumstance. And in Jesus, there is no hypocrisy. There is none. He is absolutely faithful to his word in the entirety of his action and being for all of eternity. So that even when we gather in the midst of our own hopes dashed, sorrows carried, we find in our midst this crucified and resurrected Lord Jesus, who is himself the Lord of the church, who will complete what he has begun. He will be faithful until the very end. So if you are here today reading the words of this preacher and saying, I don't know that I want to be a, a part of a threefold cord. That's not really worked out for me. I would actually like to lay by myself and try to keep myself warm. It's better than being with those kinds of people. I am tired of the rashness of other people's speech. I am tired of the hypocrisy of this life. My hope for you is not, finally, you will find people that will be good enough to fix all of that for you. They are not here. They're lovely people. They're mostly better than me. I hope you get to know them. They will also fail you. The hope for you is Jesus and Jesus alone. In the context of this place, in this church, the only hope I can offer you is Jesus, who was himself very familiar with the very things that have wounded you and have marked and scarred his own body for eternity so that he could heal you.
And if you are here today and you know you've been carrying this own habit of claiming the cause of God and speaking without even acknowledging him, but carrying it forward as his own personal crusader, marching through the church and the world with sword drawn, maybe in the nicest, most Christian language possible, today is the day to repent and instead come back to the place the preacher invites you. Silence. Let the God who is in heaven speak to you and to me on earth. If you know that you have been living a hypocritical life, saying one thing, throwing the label on it, doing another, there is good news for you today. You have the opportunity to repent. You have the opportunity to cast off all the fakery and just be true before God. This is who I really am. All of the flaws, all of the faults, here they are. Guess what? God already knows all of them. You are not surprising him anyway. The freedom comes in your own self-disclosure of your failures and him saying, I am so glad you finally said it. I've known it for so long. I've known it the whole time. I watched you even unaware of it in yourself. I knew it. I always knew it. And I died for you because I loved you. You little tiny hypocrite. I love you. You are my beautiful, wonderful son or daughter who makes tons of mistakes, a huge mess. I love you. I've always loved you. Be forgiven and set free. Today, our hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone. The church may wound you. The church will wound you. The church will let you down. But it is in this place that God has stuck his cross in the ground and said, from this unexpected place, I will bring the healing of the nations. And every way that this is going wrong, it will one day be finished. And every eye will be wiped free of tears. Every wound sewed up. And death will die because of the death of the bridegroom for his bride. When you come into the assembly, guard your steps. But when you come to the assembly, put your eyes on Jesus. He is the great hope of the church. And he will never fail us until we see him face to face. Let me pray for us. Father, we confess the truth about ourselves to you. We have fulfilled this scripture in the worst possible ways. We are the ones who have made so many mistakes, so many errors, and sinned against you and our neighbor. We are the ones. It's us. And Father, we plead for your mercy. God, we ask that you would forgive us, that you, you would have, give us the mercy of actually seeing our sin, actually seeing the hypocrisy that we've maybe even hidden from ourselves. God, give us the grace to see it so we might be freed from that too. Father, I pray that you would bind and knit this church together, not in style, not in preferences, not in demographics, but in a unified vision of Jesus. Father, I pray that our hearts would be empty of all hope except in you. God, rip the idols out of our hands, even the really churchy ones. 
And God, we pray that instead our hands would be full of the hymn of the bridegroom. That we would be left reaching and grasping for you, full to overflowing. We thank you that you are faithful to your people, even people like us. It is our only hope and it is our great comfort that we belong to you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.